six years, and six years you've been sticking it to me. I want to know how come. You want to know? I want to know! Okay, I'm going to tell you. Because you had the talent to become a good fighter. And instead of that, you became a leg breaker. Some cheap, second-rate loan shark. It's a living? It's a waste of life. I if I break the guy's thumb, he gets laid off, right? He can't make Yeah, well, don't money, figure it. Let me do the figure, okay, Rock? From here, just let me do the figure. Come on! Well, you know me? Come on! I'll break both your arms so they don't work for you. Fifty bucks. You and your girl, Adrian, you have a nice time, eh? Thanks. Hey, Rock. What? Remember what I told you. What'd you tell me? Take it to the zoo. Oh, come on! is the land of opportunity. Yeah. Apollo Creed does. And he's gonna prove it to the whole world by giving an unknown a shot at the title. I need your help about 10 years ago, right? 10 years ago? You never helped me. You didn't care. Well, if you wanted help. I say, if you wanted help, why didn't you ask? Why didn't you just ask me again? Look, I asked, but you never heard nothing. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. And if I can go that distance, seeing that bell rings and I'm still standing, I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. I mean, who am I kidding? I ain't even in the guy's league. Wish me luck. I'm gonna need it. Good luck. Don't leave town. question, is it yours? I am Paul Spataro, your host, and today I am joined by a first-time Is It Yours co-host, but somebody who's probably familiar to most of you, the hair metal hero, Chris Tyler. Welcome aboard, Hey, yo, Polly. Your sister's with me. We'll call you back later. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. And if you haven't figured it. it out, we're going to be doing the 1976 film Rocky today. Oh, yes. And I'm trying to remember if this is something we just mentioned or if this is something you specifically requested. I I specifically requested it uh, when you were soliciting 
for uh, episodes that people wanted to do. But I, I believe I had mentioned something to you in the last year or two saying that if you ever wanted to get around to covering the Rocky films, I would be there with bells on. Okay, well, I'm not really too interested in your bells, but uh, what? But we, today we'll do Rocky One. I think I'd like to avoid the sequels, other than if you know somewhere the conversation leads us into something that directly yeah, that's relates fine. to them, because I, I suspect that we will get around to doing at least a couple of the sequels down the line. Okay. So I'd, I'd rather not go too in depth. I don't want to make this the Jaws program where we cover the original no, and no, the no. sequels. I, I have plenty to say about all of these, so there's there's enough meat on on this um, hunk of of seventies awesomeness to to talk about alone. You see, with Jaws, there was there's a ton of stuff to talk about with Jaws, but Jaws two, three, and four, there's really not that much. No, no, I'd say not really. Rocky two through Creed. There's a lot we can talk about. Yes, there is. So we we will save those. But uh, what what was your first experience with Rocky? Well, I, I am a little bit younger than you. I'm probably the same age as some of the listeners and older and younger than some, respectively. <laughs> That's going uh, out on a limb. Yeah. Uh, growing up, I was born in 79. So Rocky, the franchise, was inescapable during the 80s. And as a child of the 80s, I believe the first one that I saw was Rocky Three. Um, that being said, I've, it's always been a part of my life since the franchise started well before I was born. Um, and it's been a part of my life ever since I started watching it. And as much as I do, um, love the sequels and that's how I got introduced to the character. Eventually you go back and you watch what the original one was. And it's one of these movies that I'll continually watch. And when AMC or whoever it is is showing all five of the original movies in a row, I'm not going anywhere for about 13 hours. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, this one, I would have been just, just 14 years old when this came out. So considerably older than you. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember, I remember I saw this with my mom and dad. And we saw it at the Oriental Theater in Brooklyn, which happens to be the same theater where I saw Jaws. <laughs> nice. And to the best of my memory, Jaws was the first. This was the second movie that I can remember that when we went to see it, there was a line going around the block. Okay. I, you know, that, that was a phenomenon I don't recall having seen too many times until really in the 80s. I remember, you know, Empire Strikes Back, that happened for... Uh, you know, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. You know, sequels to big movies would get that. Yeah. But you wouldn't generally get it on an everyday basis for, for a movie coming out. But this was another one of those ones where the word of mouth had spread very quickly on it. Okay. And, and I remember being on the line and my parents talking to whoever was on the line in front of us. And that's when it came out that, oh, yeah, this guy Sylvester Stallone wrote it. And, and he would only sell it to them if they let him star in it. You know, that, that was the buzz right from the beginning on this movie. Yeah, the background on this movie is, is fascinating in and of itself, which I'm sure we'll get into some of it. Mm. Well, his career before this was nothing to... <laughs> to write home about <laughs> well it depends on what you're looking for paul yeah that's true well there was that movie that was renamed the italian stallion yes that's the party of kitty and studs i'm that guy sorry <laughs> <laughs> i i love stallone 
So uh, I might as well give you the plot to this movie as uh, what's called courtesy of Wikipedia. Set in late 1975, Rocky Balboa is a hard-living but failing prizefighter from an Italian neighborhood in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Between fights, he works as an enforcer for loan shark Tony Gazzo. The world heavyweight champion Apollo Creed announces plans to hold a match in Philadelphia during the upcoming United States Bicentennial. However, he is informed five weeks from the fight date that his scheduled opponent, Mac Lee Green, is unable to compete due to an injured hand. With all of the potential replacements booked up or otherwise unavailable, Creed decides to spice things up by giving a local contender a chance to face him. He finds Balboa in the paper, liking his nickname, the Italian Stallion, and his fighting style being Southpaw. Rocky meets with promoter Miles Jurgens, presuming Creed is looking for local sparring partners. Rocky reluctantly agrees to the match, which will pay him $150,000. After several weeks of training using whatever he can find, including meat carcasses as punching bags, Rocky accepts an offer of assistance from former boxer Mickey Mighty Mick Goldmill, a respected trainer and former bantamweight fighter from the 1920s who always criticized Rocky for wasting his potential. At the same time, Rocky begins a relationship with Adrian, a clerk at the local pet shop. He gradually gains the shy Adrian's trust, culminating in a kiss. Her alcoholic brother Paulie becomes jealous of Rocky's success, but Rocky calms him by agreeing to advertise his meatpacking business at the fight. The night before the match, Rocky becomes depressed after touring the arena. He confesses to Adrian that he does not expect to win, but is content to go the distance against Creed and prove himself to everyone. On New Year's Day, the climactic boxing match begins, with Creed making a dramatic entrance dressed as George Washington and then Uncle Sam. Taking advantage of his overconfidence, Rocky knocks him down in the first round, the first time that Creed has ever been knocked down. Humiliated, Creed takes Rocky more seriously for the rest of the fight, though his ego never fully fades. The fight goes on for the full 15 rounds, with both fighters sustaining many injuries. Rocky suffers, Rocky suffers his first broken nose and debilitating trauma around the eye and Creed sustains brutal blows to his ribs with substantial internal bleeding. As the match progresses, Creed's superior skill is countered by Rocky's apparently unlimited ability to absorb punches and his dogged refusal to be knocked down. As the final bell sounds with both fighters locked in each other's arms, they promise to each other that there will be no rematch. After the fight, multiple layers of drama are played out. The sportscasters and the audience go wild. Jurgens announces over the loudspeaker that the match was the greatest exhibition of guts and stamina in the history of the ring, and Rocky calls out repeatedly for Adrian, who runs down and comes into the ring as Paulie distracts arena security. As Jurgens declares Creed the winner by virtue of a split decision, Adrian and Rocky embrace and profess their love for each other, not caring about the result of the fight. That's a fairly well... Sterile. <laughs> yeah. Sterile description. Yeah, it doesn't. Well, the thing about this movie is, <laughs> and it, it kind of goes to the description description that they give Rocky. The movie has heart, and the movie is uh, yeah um, inspiring in some ways. And you don't really get that from the description. You need to to see it. You need to have the acting. You need to have the dialogue, and you need to have the music. Absolutely, and it's. 
just going back and be and you know having become become a film fan as you get older and you go back and you look at movies from other decades by this point in the 70s there was not a lot of heart in a, in a lot of the movies coming out things were very bleak um you can point to almost anything uh, chinatown escape from new york any number of gritty movies um this movie is gritty it's absolutely gritty it's completely street level at the same time it has heart that a lot of those other movies that i've mentioned don't have it is a fairy tale it's a a brutally honest fairy tale that does manage to capture your heart when you're watching it and it's um you know, because Star Wars hadn't hit yet. You know, there that was you know, and that's we start moving more into the blockbusteriness of the the late seventies and early eighties at that point. But I think this this more so than Star Wars is what kind of starts that trend towards a different feel in in movies going forward. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, the movies I think of shortly before this would be Taxi Driver, it's same One thing. Flew Over yeah. the Cuckoo's Nest, you know, the Godfather movies. So yeah, they they, they kind of got away from lighthearted drama. Everything became very intense and, as you say, very bleak. And this is more of a lighthearted drama, which then we kind of you know it kind of turned back to that a little bit. You know, you had things, uh, you know, like Kramer versus Kramer, which had a more optimistic outlook. Ultimately, you know. It, it it I don't know if this movie had that influence over the movie makers, but it certainly was. You know, not, I, want, I don't want to use the word groundbreaking, but well, it's, it seems to be trend setting. Maybe that's a better it, term. It, and it, but it is dark, and it does touch on a lot of things. It's a movie about several broken people, but instead of these broken people being broken at the end of the movie, they're not broken. They've become self-actualized um, and it's plastered all over the movie every almost every time we when we first start seeing adrian they show her behind the bird cage in the pet shop i mean it's as obvious a metaphor as you get i mean that's her whole life and it rocky does have heart but he is he's, he's a leg breaker for a mob boss he, but he sucks at it you know yeah. he just can't bring himself to do what a, you know, a hired hand is going to be supposed to be doing for the mob. He's not going to break people's hands or anything. He just can't see him see himself doing it. So it's, I don't know. It's just it's broken people that are trying to get out of where they're stuck. And I, I just, I love, I love that aspect of it. And and when you say broken people, you're really talking Rocky and Adrian. I mean, it's not the entire. Well, Mi- Paul, Mickey's Paul broken a broken too. person, but he isn't made complete by the movie. No, Mickey and... doesn't really have a full story arc in this movie. I think when you give him Rocky two and Rocky three, now he's got a full story arc. But Mickey just kind of co- goes from being, you know, the the guy who's kind of a little bit of Rocky's tormentor because he is angry at Rocky for wasting potential to Rocky's mentor. But his own personal arc doesn't really. I, I think his pers- his personal arc kind of hits its highlight when you know or hits its its end when Rocky is champion and he's living in Rocky's home. And again, we were said we weren't going to talk too much yeah. about the future movies, but that's kind of his story arc. It's kind yeah, of done just, over two and a half movies. Yeah, just from what you glean, though, the the confrontation or the conversation that they have in Rocky's apartment after Mickey goes there after berating him, 
you know, in front of everybody else at the gym. He's there ready to lay on his sword and say, look, I, I never had a, you know, any management. I can protect you from all the crap that's about to happen to you. Rocky's not ready to listen to him. Mickey's broken, has been broken by stuff. We just, you know, we only get glimpses of it from what he's telling us. But well, I, I also feel he's got a heart, but he's got no locker. <laughs> <laughs> you put my stuff on Skid Row. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Zipper digs it, it, his stuff. It digs his locker. <laughs> uh, dig your locker, man. <laughs> Sorry, we can't. We gotta avoid going into just doing quotes from this. Um, but I think there's levels of, you know, the, these, these people are not the best versions of themselves that they could be until they all start coming together. And it, I mean, like you said, the sequels do more with that, but yeah, Rocky and Adrian, especially, and, and Rocky points it out. And if it was any other character saying it, it would come off as pretentious and dopey, uh, say she got gaps. I got gaps together. We fill gaps. He's so, <laughs> it's such a. He's not the brightest crayon in the box, so him saying it like that makes it sound more profound than it actually is. Well, he, he's like a very simplistic philosopher when it comes to his, you know, how he looks at life. But he's not wrong on most of the stuff that that's he's looking what, that's at. That's what I'm saying, but he's, he's just very simple. He presents yeah. it in very simple terms. Even when, when he, he's, he's trying to get the, the young girl to do the right thing. Yeah. You know, he, he and he gives her a speech about, you know, how, how it's going to affect her life and all of that. And, you know, it's very simple. And ultimately, she gives him the finger and leaves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then he, but even his, it's not even inner monologue, it's external monologue. He says, Who am I to be given advice? You know? So the fact of his situation is not lost on him. Um, he's, he's not completely unaware of what his situation is. Now, uh, you know, I, I generally ask, and I don't know if you've looked at all, do you know what the budget was on this movie? Oh, God. You know, if you asked me 20 years ago or 10 years ago, I'd probably know. Um, let's see. I'm just going to take a wild guess going by mid-70s MGM, first-time writer, $6 million? According to Wikipedia, which is always correct, $1.1 million. Okay, yeah, you know what, there's, um, okay. My original thought was going to be $2 million, so I guess I was way off. Well, but, I mean, <laughs> realistically, not, not way. <laughs> but, uh, now, I believe the box office numbers they put on Wikipedia are generally from Box Office Mojo, but uh, the box office for the movie, do you have any clue uh we going worldwide or domestic it just lists box office i want to see actually i'm going to make the i'm going to make the link make the jump over to box office mojo which breaks it down a little better okay now we can go domestic domestic um let's see if you're telling me those lines around the block pre-release uh what would have been a yeah because let's see uh i want to say 80 million Okay. Uh, now, according to Wikipedia, which doesn't break it down, it says 225. Okay, so a far but, larger but hit now, than I... But now, Box Office Mojo, which actually gives a domestic number, which is much closer to your number, it's 117 million. Okay, so true blockbuster, the original definition of the word. Yes. It broke Absolutely. that $100 million barrier. Uh, 
Okay. Yeah, and, you know what? At a $1.1 million, $1. million budget, it easily fit the formula to profit. Yes, that is a large return on investment. So now I don't know. I'm, I'm working off things as we go along. John Avelson, who directed this movie, before he directed this, he did have some somewhat famous movies. Uh, I guess the biggest would be Save the Tiger with Jack Lemmon. Yeah, I'm not I'm not familiar with anything outside of uh, this Rocky Five and Karate Kid. <laughs> so for him, yeah. Well, Save the Tiger was actually you know a fair. Oh, and then there was Joe with uh, Peter. Uh, what's his name? Raymond's father. Peter Boyle. Peter Boyle. So th those were those were fairly well known movies. You know, I mean, we're talking close to you know. We're talking about 40 years ago or so, so or 45 years ago. So <laughs> I can understand where a young fella such as yourself might not be familiar with them. <laughs> yeah. He, well, he, he, got the, he got the job of directing this, and he went on to hire, I believe it was, there was somebody else first before he got a hold of uh, Bill Conti to do the, or, the score. And you got to think this would be a very, very different movie with a different score. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it, is, it is one of the, I would say it is the most iconic score of the 1970s by anybody whose name was not John Williams. Oh, you know what? Trying to think. Um, yeah, because now I'm thinking of what's the big stuff from the 70s. Superman, Star Wars, Jaws. Okay, I mean, yeah. other, other particularly memorable, the Godfather theme. But I think, yeah. this, I think this eclipses that. So I would, yeah. say, I would say in the 70s, this would, you know, other than John Williams, this is it. And, and it's I interesting. Would... I think this is one of the most rousing scores ever. And I'm not just talking about the theme, Gonna Fly Now, which everybody knows. But I'm, I'm talking yeah. about... There's the scene, and this particular piece of music gets repeated at several points, but the scene towards the end when Rocky gets knocked down in the ring, and they're imploring him to stay down. Yeah. And he's fighting. It's like he, he looks like he's swimming on the on the carpet yeah. trying to get himself up. And you hear that music swelling up with the da na 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 It's yeah. just so riveting. And And... You know, it, it's one of the things that, that brings goosebumps to me. Yeah, and it's it's it does exactly what some people would argue that movie music shouldn't factor into what you're watching. I like when there's late motif and themes and, and things that are adding to what you're seeing on screen. And the music in this absolutely does it. It has that rousing nature during the scenes of the high drama. It has the sad piano music when it's, you know, an intimate portion of the drama and it's you know when i say that you know exactly what i'm talking about um it's it's definitely a case where the visuals and the music definitely work together it's one of those movies thinking about what you've just said right now if you stripped out the dialogue and you only had the soundtrack you almost could pretty much get everything you needed to know from the visuals and the music in this the one thing trying to look at it you know with a somewhat critical eye the scenes that you mentioned with the slow piano music, I almost feel like it slowed down a little too much. Then it, it almost gets into, uh, you know, into the sad, uh, the lonely man theme with the yeah. 
and I think that those scenes might have been better. Same music or same uh, composition, but perhaps like lightly orchestrated instead of just done with a piano. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know either. It's just a thought that I had. He's a lonely guy. Adrian's a lonely woman. It kind of makes sense to just have that one musical voice out in the wilderness when they're focusing on that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I get the thought, but it almost seemed to go to, to dial it down just a little too much for me. It was still the 70s. <laughs> yeah, but I don't need to tell you. <laughs> well, the movie opens, just to kind of bring it through a little bit, with... I think a pretty cool fight sequence with Rocky fighting Spider Rico uh, at what appears to be like kind of a church auditorium. Yeah. And yeah, you've the, the movie opens on Jesus. Yes. <laughs> you know. Well, it, it actually opens with the scroll of Rocky, white on black. Yeah. With the fanfare. With the fanfare, and that that's actually pretty cool, and that that became a staple of these movies. And then it goes to to Jesus, and then it goes to Rocky fighting Spider, and uh, Spider actually headbutts him, <laughs> which which yeah. angers Rocky, and then Rocky goes on to victory. And then we, we cut to the uh, the locker room where the two of them are within <laughs> what seven feet of each other. Yep, taking their paychecks, which are uh, or their their payoff, yeah. which is cash, but extremely modest. I don't remember what it is, like thirty dollars or something. Uh, like that. I think it was forty dollars pre-tax, pre-shower, pre-locker rental for Spider, and sixty-five uh, pre-deductions for Rocky. He ends up with about forty dollars in change after that. So you gotta really want to be uh, doing that to, to earn that little bit of money. Yeah, really. And then uh, Rocky goes off. He ends up uh, talking to Joe Spinella, who's Gazzo, the uh, loan shark. I, I was, I thought he was really good in this. I, I love him. I love him in this. And 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 Gazzo's, uh I don't remember what his name is, but his his uh, chauffeur slash bodyguard, who's an antagonist of Rocky. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> Take her to the zoo. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> That's all I can. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, it's Rocky's running with a bad group of people, and he it's clear he doesn't belong there. Uh, he throws those glasses on and at one point you're going holy crap i mean this guy's going in the ring he's fighting and he's wearing these horrible looking glasses <laughs> like the worst looking glasses you could ever see he's clearly you know some yeah <laughs> thanks rodney uh but it's just clear he, he can't spell well he's he always wants to make sure that he's getting everything right it's just it's it's not the place for him and, and you, you, i mean maybe it should be the place for him with his level of his intelligence and his kind of lack of passion to really push himself past where he needs to be. You can see a guy like that falling into that kind of routine, especially in um, Philadelphia during the seventies in the, in the area that he's in. Yeah. He's definitely not in a ritzy neighborhood. And, uh, you know, then he, we, we meet up with, uh, Adrian and, uh, you know, Rocky's telling her jokes and, you know, clearly he's smitten with her. Yeah. Right from the start, and clearly she's got the disease of being shy. <laughs> that never bothered me, though, you know. Uh, yeah, it's 
it's so sweet and it's so awkward. Uh, the two of them together, he desperately wants her to j- just to say two words to him and she just won't do it. And it, but that's the thing. He never stops. He never tr- stops trying to just get her out of that shell that she's in. Um, you know, it would be easy for a guy like that to just decide, hey, you know, I, I'm not having any luck with this chick. I want to go somewhere else. I'm sure Gazo could set me up with somebody. But he keeps going to the girl that he passes by twice a day when he's walking around the, the city and just refusing to take no for an answer. And not in not in a, a creepy stalkerish way. He's genuinely being nice to her. He just genuinely wants to talk to her. And, he, you know, she just won't say anything back to him. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's actually kind of sweet the way they portray that. It's it's not stalkerish at all. It's it's somebody who's clearly, you know, see he sees something beyond the shyness. Yeah. So and you know we talk about Rocky being kind of a simple philosopher earlier, and and I think that kind of goes to this. Like, you know, he he's got a, a simplicity about him, but there's there's a depth to it. He's not he's not totally superficial. No, because if he was, then he would just go for you know, oh, Gazo, can you hook me up with a girl? And he'd have sex, and he'd be he'd be done. You know, yeah. but but this, he was looking for something more, and he saw something more in her, which turned out to be correct. And it's it's like that with it's like that with everybody that he's with too. He he almost by no action other than being the guy that he is brings out the best in people. I mean, he picks the guy up that's sitting outside the bar, brings him in. He's, you know, trying to help out Marie, the little girl. He's nice to everybody that he talks to. He's not, he's not really out there to hurt anybody. He's just a nice guy. Yeah, I mean that is the reality of it. And then he goes to the bar and we meet uh, Paulie. Oh yes, I love the scene where he's trying to comb his hair in the broken mirror. (laughs) Shattered mirror. (laughs) I can't broke this mirror. Paulie is. Paulie's a one of a kind character. He's the he's just a I never I never looked at him as alcoholic. Is it did I just completely miss that? Uh I see, just I kind of ne- look at I see him as borderline alcoholic. You know, like I I don't see him as a guy who's constantly drunk, but I see him a guy who who just generally goes out and gets drunk anyway. Yeah, I guess so. So it, I mean, it, it I, remains... borderline in in my opinion. He's not, you know, he's not a He's not Foster Brooks. No. Uh, but, you know, the he, one that's it's one of the things that I consider to be a slight misstep, and, and slight is really the word I want to use, uh, in that he's apparently the owner of this meatpacking thing, which makes no sense at all. Do they call that out in the movie? No, that but the that's, that's the way they, they even describe it in, in the uh, synopsis. And when no. you think about it, why would he care about advertising it if it wasn't his business or if he didn't have a stake in it never took it as that he's just the guy either. who's running the factory floor he, it, it, i mean not to spoil ahead but by the time we get to rocky balboa they hand him his walking papers and he says you know 30 years i've been there you, you, if you're the owner of the company you're not getting a pink slip but there's something something that doesn't quite fit and in the synopsis here they they said i believe they said his meat but well I don't think they said the, the meat pack, packing plant that he owns. And even if you did put it, yeah, it says to advertise no his meat packing business at the fight. That's the way they describe uh, it in the synopsis. So even if you say it's his business, he could be, uh, you know, he could be leveraged to the hilt anyway. 
Yeah, that's, but that doesn't I, strike me as his personality. He doesn't strike me as of enough of, enough of a go getter. No, to have, to have purchased a business. So you no. got to think he's working with somebody else. But then it doesn't quite mesh that he would care about the advertising it on Rocky's robe. No. So that and he it, would it's be, just like if said, you own a meatpacking plant, you're not going to try to become a leg breaker for a loan shark. Yeah. <laughs> the two are at cross purposes. It just doesn't. Yeah. So I, I think we got to go with the thought that he is working for the meatpacking plant. He's an employee. And then it doesn't totally make sense that he'd do the advertising. But so what? Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's it's you really can only pick up on what his life has been just from little things that you glean from inside the home. There's a very clear picture of Burt Young in in his uh, service outfit. Uh, I'm not sure from what time frame that would have been. It's a black and white photo. So I guess we're meant to infer that he is a veteran of some military action from the United States within the last 30 years, you know, and about the, at the as of the time that this came out. Well, about the time this came out, you got to figure he's supposed to be somewhere in his thirties. Oh, he looks so much older, though. I know, but but because Rocky Adrian and Adrian is supposed to be not quite thirty, them. and um, he's her brother. Yeah, I. So I'm thinking he's really... in. He was in Vietnam. That's what I mean. It would have to have been that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you know, not that we need to get heavy into anything, but a lot of vets coming back from that time period, tough to find a job. See First Blood with Sylvester Stallone. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, and it's it's just one of those that's and that's just one of those things you pick up if you've watched this movie as many times as I have. You just start looking at all the other things that are in the corners of the frame. Unfortunately, the corner of the frame sees one of the biggest missteps in the movie. During the fight. Yeah, what would that be? The fact that, the there's fact no that there's nobody in there. The upper deck. Yeah. Um, hey, million dollar budget. Yeah. I and know. honestly, if you're focusing on the crowd by that point in the movie, then the movie hasn't done its job. Well, I can honestly tell you when I saw this in the movie theater, I did not notice that. It wasn't until subsequent viewings on TV that I saw it. Yeah. And, but when you once you see it, you cannot unsee it. The bigger tell is the sound when um, Jurgensen is doing the introduction. It's completely hollow in there. <laughs> if there was, if that was packed to the gills, that would be muffling a lot of the echo. Yeah, that's true too. But uh, okay, so uh, then we we meet uh, Apollo and his entourage, and and I've always gotten a kick out of uh, Duke. Tony Duke, yeah. So, you know, he, he comes off as almost more of a businessman than a boxer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of the point. <laughs> but he clearly, I mean, like uh, Rocky says, he, you know, he says this guy fought his way to the top to become the champ. When you get to be that level, you kind of kind of keep that machine rolling. And that's what Apollo's purpose is, is to keep that machine rolling. And everybody else around him is you know, in line to try to keep that machine rolling. Uh, but if you're going to get to that point, you might as well monetize yourself. Can't blame a guy for that. No, not at all. But it, it's a touch unrealistic in the regard that most boxers that get to that level are totally being manipulated and used by the promoters. They don't sit down with the promoters and make decisions on where to go, and they don't give 
ultimatums to the promoters as to who they're going to face and all that. It's, yeah. It's not, you know, most most boxers are just not the businessmen that businessman that Apollo Creed was. Yeah. Again, though, this movie, you do have to realize the fact that this, at the end of the day, is a fairy tale. So yes. I'm willing to give it that that pass in that regard. And I'm just going to reiterate what I've said so many times. The fact that I'm pointing out little inconsistencies or criticisms, that's exactly what they are. They're small. Yeah. They're not, these, these are not major plot points. I cannot, I'll, I'll come right out in front and say I don't have a major plot point to attack in this movie. Neither do I. So I need to be nitpicky if I'm going to criticize it at all. <laughs> Fair enough. And, and I, I don't like to just do the show of, yeah, I love that. You know, I, I'm I'm fine saying that, but I don't. But I do want to, you know, see the pluses and minuses to it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we, we learn that that he's looking for a fighter, and he he ends up picking out Rocky based really on his nickname alone. Just the name, yeah. You know, the, the Italian, Italian stallion. Stallion. Because yeah, that's gonna sell tickets. I, <laughs> you know, it works. Yeah. You know, he makes you believe why they're doing it. So, so Rocky gets called in, and again, like it said, he thinks that they're looking for sparring partners. And you can see again, you know, what what a simple, likable person Rocky is at this point. You know, I, I won't take no cheap shots. You know, he, he, he's like he's like auditioning to be a sparring partner. Yeah. And then when when Jurgens explains to him that no, Rocky Apollo wants to fight you, Rocky's first reaction is to say no. Because he, he doesn't have the confidence to think he can do it. Well, <laughs> you're a, a basement fighter, and the champ wants to fight you for the heavyweight title, and you've got five weeks to get ready? I'd say no, too. Yeah, well, but it's, it's amazing how many people of that ilk would be so overconfident that they'd be like, oh, sure, I'll get in there, you know, without, without blinking an eye. Peter McNeely. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> but uh you know rocky has enough self-awareness to realize that this this may be too much for him to take on so he initially says no but then you know i guess one hundred fifty thousand dollars is too much to turn down yeah he's not going to make that work for gazo and he's not going to make it getting sixty dollars minus money for, <laughs> yeah. for fighting so then, then we start getting, you know, while all of this is going on, we're also, you know, furthering the relationship with Adrian. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm getting the sequence right, but he finally goes out on a date with her. Thanksgiving night. On Thanksgiving night, yeah. Yeah, Polly, well, Polly brings point, him home. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, you go. Polly brings him home, uh, and Rocky the whole time is real nervous. He says, does she know I'm coming? Does she know I'm coming? He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gets in there. Adrian had no clue. Uh, and and this is one of the one of the actual redeeming qualities about Polly is as vulgar and as broken a person as he is, he doesn't want Adrian to end up like him. He wants her to get out of the shell that she's in, and he's kind of forcing her hand. I mean, she does have to make the decision to actually go out and do something with Rocky at that point. Um, you know, her she is kind of pushed a little bit, but I mean, she doesn't have to open the door for Rocky, and he's doing his best to just say, "Hey, let's go out. You know, let's try to have some fun." And then that's where they actually start talking to each other. You know, from just the two words that he said to her every couple of days to to actually having a conversation where, oh, it's 
you're dealing with the same thing I am, just in kind of a different way. And you can almost instantly see her start to open up once the two of them are on the ice skating rink. I I remember watching the scene, and there's a delivery that's a little off. And it made me think the wrong thing at first. was when she's asking him why he'd want to be a fighter. And he starts responding, you got to be a moron. And I think that, like for a second, I thought that's what he was saying to her. And I was like, my God, how could you say that? No, he's talking about himself. He's talking about himself. But for a second or so, it didn't come out right in my mind when I was watching it. And I remember thinking, you know, that's it. He just blew it. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't blow it. Yeah, and it's it's a great, you know, little kind of a fun scene that he uh, he takes her over to the skating rink and... You know, the, the rink is closed, but he bribes the guy to let them come in. And this is because Polly has runs. said that she likes to skate. And you, when she gets on the ice, it's clear that she does not know how to skate. Which is even funnier. Polly just wants to get her out of the house. And he says she likes ice skating. So Rocky takes her there. She does not know how to skate. She, is, she clearly has no balance. No. Doesn't, doesn't move gracefully at all. And then he runs alongside her, you know, as if he's in training. <laughs> he's always in training. He's always slipping the shoulder and punching the air. It's such a small character detail, but it shows you his mindset. Yeah, it's true. And, it, you know, it, it's been a long career since then, but this may be Sylvester Stallone's best acting performance, period. It's definitely up there. Because he has subtleties to it. Um, I still think his, his breakdown at the end of First Blood is... Yeah, it is definitely so. <laughs> I, I see people laugh at that scene. I break down with John Rambo at that point in the movie, but we'll talk about First Blood another time. Um, okay. Yeah, the, his acting in this is great. Um, now, originally the, they they wanted James Caan to play Rocky. I, I don't see. I don't, I don't think it would have worked. No, By I this point, either. James Caan was already a big time name. The whole point is it's an underdog story. <laughs> You know if James Conn's in the movie and he's the main character, he's not an underdog. And and yeah, he he was at least at the time, you know, your primary memory of him is, you know, playing Sonny Corleone. So you see him as a like a real, real tough guy. And and I don't think it would have played as well. I, I like to to think we can't really in our minds figure out exactly how it would have been. But this is one of those ones where I kind of have an image in my mind that I think I can see how the movie would have been. And honestly, I think with James Conn as the lead, this might have been kind of a forgettable movie. I can't. Yeah, I mean, I can't even throw my mind in, into trying to picture him at that, you know, stage of his life in this film doing that. I just I can't even mentally connect those wires to see it. And there, there is yeah. the aspect of wanting to be able to see a movie. And to immerse yourself in it. And I would have had a difficult time watching this and accepting what was going on because I would have been aware that he and Talia Shire had played brother and sister previously. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I think it would have bothered me and it would have taken me out of the movie a little. Yeah. It's, uh... Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Wow. That's a great point. So anyway, Sylvester Stallone apparently insisted that he would only sell them this screenplay if 
he got to star in it. You you're trying to make that name at that point. You want to get your name out there. It's it's a it's a risky move, but it, I mean the gamble paid off. Yeah, you know? his his biggest mainstream role up to that point had been playing Death Race Two Thousand Bananas or uh, in Lords of Flatbush. Uh, yeah, he was in Death Race Two Thousand. <laughs> That's what I remember him from. Yeah, Machine Gun Joe Viterbo. Yeah, yeah not, nothing, you know, he hadn't done anything that really stood out. So he, to, to the movie going public, he was pretty much an unknown. Exactly. You know, I, I would say the biggest names or the two biggest names in this movie were Talia Shire from her reputation from having been in the two Godfather movies mm-hmm. and Burgess Meredith. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody else in this movie was a particularly significant at that point no not that i can think of i mean this is the movie that kind of made made a lot of people's careers or reinvigorated some people's careers in the case of burgess meredith yeah but yeah i mean just looking at it from that perspective i think the other guy who you know made a career out of this was uh carl weathers you know he, he never went on to become the huge box office draw uh, i can only think of one movie that he, you know, was truly the star attraction, and that was uh, Action, Action Jackson. Jackson. Oh, yeah. And that, you know, I don't think that fared too well at the box office. No, not really. So, but, you know, but he still he still had a, uh, you know, a somewhat significant career after that. So, you know, the movie still made, made him a name. Yeah, it made Stallone a name, too, <laughs> big time. So we go from... All of this going on to now it's time for 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 Mickey to make his plea to train Rocky, who who up to this point has been training on his own. We have a sequence where he, you know, he he drinks the raw eggs and he goes out running. And by the time he comes back, he's clearly got the stitch in his side and he can't really run anymore. You know, he's he's not doing overwhelmingly successful at that point. Yeah. And Mickey comes to visit him, and as you know, you alluded to earlier, Mickey points out to him that you know, when he was a boxer, he had some problems because he didn't have anybody looking out for him and didn't have any management. And you know, he wants to manage Rocky. Rocky resents him for for taking away his locker and and not supporting him. You know, in the past, so Rocky tells him to get lost. Mickey slowly leaves. We hear a little bit of the Lonely Man music. Rocky gets a chance to think about it, comes running back <laughs> out after after Mickey, and the next thing you know, it's time to train with Mickey as his manager. What what I love about that is they both the two of them both have that their breakdown. Mickey breaks down about the stuff that happened to him as a as a younger man. Rocky breaks down about the fact that he doesn't his life stinks. His life stinks. Oh, play stinks. Uh, yeah. It, and at that point, Mickey's kind of beside himself. He doesn't know what to do. He's fumbling around for his hat. He's slowly walking. Rocky's still ranting. And we'd never need to know what Rocky says to Mickey. It, 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 there's no scripted line that would be able to get you over that hurdle for the two of them to be sitting there at the end of Rocky Street and then shaking hands. The, the visual tells John you everything. I'm Avildsen's choice there, the way that plays out as the director. But it could be it could have been scripted that way. I don't know. 
Well, I, I would I don't know what you'd even write there. That's the thing. I mean, and you know, and maybe and maybe Stallone was in the same situation. What can I what can I have Rocky who just blew up at this guy say to where they're going to shake hands? Maybe I don't need to say anything. It's just stage direction, you know, and the way it's filmed, you don't need to know. No, you don't, and I think it's it's kind of I don't know if classy is the word, but it's just nicely underplayed by not having any dialogue there. And 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 again, we don't need it because we've already seen what kind of person Rocky is. Yeah, he sometimes he gets upset about stuff, but at the end of the day, he's going to be the first person to smile at somebody and try to do the right thing. So it's you know it, it we just don't need to know. And from there we go to the training montage. Oh, and we, yes. And we hear Gonna Fly now. Yeah. And it's possibly one of the best montage scenes in film history. I, oh, I would have to doubt. sit down and think of other ones and compare them to know if it is the best in my mind or, or not. But it certainly would be on the list of the best. Absolutely. Uh, you'll have You'll have no argument from me on that. Um, because with any sort of underdog story, that's really what you're leading up to. You're leading up to the point where the character feels like it's time for me to actually be self-actualized and do what I need to do. And that montage in this one, the training montage, he's you could see him. He's sweating. He's grunting. He's running. He's but he's smiling and he's and he's ready to work. Uh, so by the time we get to that. Uh, they do the freeze frame in this one. Yeah, they do. They do the freeze frame at the top of the uh, Philadelphia Art Museum. Um, yeah. and, they, well, and again, yeah, that it culminates with him finally running up the stairs fairly effort- effortlessly fairly after having struggled in the past. And all alone. This is not what that scene had become afterwards. This is one guy in the early morning by himself after a long run, pleased with the fact that. His training is going well. Yeah, and then that's we have another stark contrast there because it goes from that exhilarating music and the exhilarating training sequence, and you feel it with Rocky when he's so thrilled that he's succeeding on that, and then it just goes very slow again. <laughs> well, that's the that's the long dark hour of the soul. After that, isn't it? It's the it's the you know, what did what did I really get myself into? Yeah, we, uh, we we see his inner doubts, which we knew he had. It, he he was never a guy with false bravado. You know, he, yeah. he did, Again, that's why he turned down the fight originally because he he had his doubts as to whether or not he could stand up to one of the greatest fighters of all time. Yeah, so. yeah and, and again, like we've said about him, he's aware of it. It's um. He goes out, he walks the streets, he's doing the thinking that he's going to do, and then it's the scene. The next scene is him confiding after coming back from the uh, from the gym. Uh, sorry, not the gym, the uh, the stadium. And just saying, I, I know I'm not going to win, but I'm not concerned about that. I just don't want to not do the best that I can. I just want to go toe-to-toe with the champion because nobody else has ever done it. Nobody's lasted 15 rounds with the champion. If I can do that, then I'll know that I wasn't a failure. 
There's no more grandiose thing than that. He's not concerned about money. He's not concerned about getting a girl. He doesn't want the belt. It's not even about that. He just wants to be the best that he can be and know that he's not just another bum from the street. <laughs> you know? yeah, when he, and he goes goes to see Father Carmine. Hey, oh, Father Carmine! And his, oh, yeah. his only request for Father Carmine's blessing isn't, you know, pray that I win this fight. It's yeah. It's that if I get hurt, I don't get hurt too bad. Yeah, it's the the most humble thing ever. It's, you know, he's it's he's a boxer. He knows he's going to get hurt, but <laughs> what else can you really be asking for? Yeah, uh, it's uh, and then you know he confides in, in to Adrian as as you were saying about that you know he doesn't think he can do it and all. But it's uh, pretty much time to for the fight, and and I think there's a great sequence there too. Just before the fight, where they show Rocky and they show Apollo Creed in contrast in their locker rooms mm-hmm. and what they're doing, Rocky's praying, mm-hmm. and Apollo is there with Duke, his his trainer, his manager, whatever his role is, and he's getting his ego stroked a little bit. You know, the greatest, they can't stay up to you, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you could see Apollo's routine is down to just kind of like a, a, a science. They have it down. This is the routine. This is what they do. And where, whereas Rocky is getting ready to walk the last mile. You know, it's almost as if he's <laughs> going to the gas chamber when he's, it's time, kid. Yeah. You know? And and then they come into the ring and Rocky comes in and introduced and then Apollo has his flamboyant entrance coming in as George Washington and then being Uncle <laughs> Sam. Yep. Throwing silver dollars out to the audience. And then Joe Frazier comes in, you know, I mean, it, it, a lot of fanfare going on. And, you know, Rocky just seems, you know, it, it, it's, it's all just beyond him. Well, it's just, it's it's beyond him, but it's not like it's really affecting him either. You know, he just sort of is there. He's, he, what else? He probably wouldn't even know what else to think about other than the fact that now he has to fight. It's, you know, <laughs> He doesn't. He really doesn't have what the appropriate reaction would be, which is, I think, oh my God, look at all these people. Um, their eyes are all going to be on me. He's still just kind of focused. He stays focused um, after just some minor crowd interaction. Once he gets to that ring, he's focused at just looking at the opposite corner. You know, and it's uh, mm-hmm. something that happened here. This was post Taxi Driver. Um, is the is he talking to me thing? Is it? Do you think that was a lift from from Taxi Driver? Is he talking to me? Yeah, he's talking to you. Is he talking to me? <laughs> yeah, I I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's that is a Taxi Driver, okay. you know, re- Easter egg. Because uh, that that was such a famous scene and still is to this day. You talking to me? So I I wouldn't be at all surprised. And then it's time for the fight. And, and uh, as if a, real boxing was like this, it'd be great. <laughs> well, I was going to say, as somebody who is not re- hasn't really kept up with it, but at one time was a big boxing fan, I have to say it's not the most realistic fight. No, it's thank God. <laughs> well, the closest thing in my memory to this fight was when uh, Marvin Hagler and uh, what's his name. Tommy Hearns fought each other. And it was 
An out-and-out brawl. The two of them were just throwing punches like wild, and I'm pretty sure Hearns got knocked out in the fourth. Because nobody could keep up that pace for 15 rounds. It's not humanly possible. No, not heavyweights. God, no. Not, not, and, and that was, uh, I believe, they were middleweights at the time, uh, Hearns and, uh, and Hagler. So they might have been light heavy, but I'm pretty, I think they were middle. Even still, when you but, start pushing that, that weight class, it's you're not throwing haymakers no, <laughs> every well, two you're seconds. Not, not, you, know, you, can, you just can't do it for 15 rounds. It's not possible. You'd you no. kill yourself. But you know the way this is choreographed, it, it, you know, you're sitting there and you're saying, yeah, it's not realistic, but I don't care. <laughs> exactly. I, it's more entertaining than watching a real boxing match. Because the fight is, you know, there's there's a, a story in the fight, the way that progresses, and and who, you know, there's a lot of moments in there when Creed first gets knocked down, and when he realizes, oh shit, this guy's here for real, or or, you know, Rocky when yeah. they're telling him to stay down, and he's, you know, his his only goal is to last the 15 rounds, you know, where, whereas Creed is kind of not doing the smart thing. All he needs to do is stay away from him and win the fight on points, but he's yeah. his own ego is getting a hold of yeah. him, and he's saying, no, i got to knock this guy out. So they're at totally opposite ends, and that's where Rocky wins because Creed's yeah. only goal is to knock him out, and Rocky's only goal is to survive the 15. So Rocky survives the 15, and that's where he wins the fight. Yes. Because ultimately yeah. he loses it on a split decision, but the split decision is of such... In, it's so inconsequential to yeah. him that he's not even listening when the, when the nope. results are announced. Yeah, and and, and Creed's uh, reaction to winning by split decision is him in the background, half obscured, and you you know the focus at that point isn't shouldn't be on him anyway. This was Rocky's story. We're only concerned about what's going on with him right now. And it's it's clear what's going on with him. He's only concerned about one thing. He's, he told Adrian before the fight started, hey, don't leave town. You know, this is he's done what he's wanted to do. Now all he wants is the, the woman that he loves to be with him. And um, it's a really nice scene when that happens. And again, the music punctuates it so well. Because it goes from, you know, the, the iconic, you know, dun, 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 dun. You know, even though it's not the horns blaring the way it yeah. is in the beginning of the song, it's got that music playing, but then it goes into the dun 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 yeah. dun, and it's just you know, it, it really just uh, you know I get goosebumps just sitting here talking about. I, it. Yeah, thinking about it too. It's it, the two of them, the 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 freeze frame on on Rocky's face, completely drained but satisfied with who he is. And the two of them telling each other that they love, that they love each other, like, which, as far more. as we know, it's the, the first time that they've said it. Thinking back on it, yeah, I don't think that that the L bomb was dropped before that. That's a that's a good point. Um, you know, if you're going to express your love for someone, you might as well do it after getting your clock cleaned and doing what you wanted but, to do. So. But again, Rocky. As soon as that bell rang to end the 15, 15th round, as far as he was concerned, he won. He won, yeah. It didn't That's... matter what they what the judges decided. It was irrelevant. So now the only thing he had left to do was to get the woman he loved. And he did that. Yeah, and even Polly helps out, which is it, it's such a nice little moment. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's yeah. Just just thinking about the end of the movie, it just it just makes me smile. And honestly, and, and I'll be totally honest with you, if there's nobody else around and I'm watching this, when the two of them start embracing at the end of the fight, I'm crying. I don't care. I said it. <laughs> I, I have I have I have man tears watching watching the first Rocky movie. Uh, it's it it has that emotional uh, resonance for me um, because it, I mean swap out whatever you want take don't make it a boxing movie make it anything you chess uh, roller skating I, I, cards I don't care substitute what the activity is it's not even really about what the sport is about it's about the people that are dealing with everything else going on and and that's why it works so well yeah i would i would totally agree with that and it's it's shown how resonant this movie is i think and again we're not going to get into reviews of them but just that this character hit such a note that it's gone on to have all of these sequels six five sequels, sequels. six sequels because creed is a sequel that would be the fifth sequel then, wouldn't no, it? No, Rocky Balboa would be the fifth sequel. Oh, you're right. So, yes, yeah, six sequels. This is a franchise that's been around for 40 years. <laughs> you know, I mean, other than that, what, what other franchise has been around that long? The Bond franchise has had that much longevity? Yeah, the Bond I mean, franchise, Star Wars is almost as long. It's getting close, yeah. And Star, I mean, Star Wars, I expect Star Wars will still be making movies after the Rocky franchise is done. Oh, it'll be, it'll be making movies when we're dust. <laughs> so, well, now with Creed, I mean, I, I expect there to be an, uh, yet another Rocky movie coming at somewhere down the line. Creed Two, or whatever they want to call it. We'll get into that later, but yeah, but, it's but it's got that, and it also spawned, which I went to see last year, a Broadway play. What? A musical. Oh, oh no. And it was oh. I don't know how long it was open on Broadway. All right, I have to hear about this. But it was it was getting it was getting ready to close. So it wasn't a huge Broadway success, but uh before it closed I managed to score a couple of tickets at a nice discount. Okay. And we went to see Rude. And, and it was <laughs> it was pretty interesting because well, first of all, it was a musical, and they actually he actually had a musical number where he sings about the fact that his nose had never been broken. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But there was there was a ring on the stage, and it's always in the, far in the back, and it's there for some training sequences, and then it would be far enough back that they could put stuff in front of it for you know the street scenes and stuff. But when we get to the climactic fight, this the ring actually came out and it went over the orchestra seats oh before okay. that happened the people who were in the orchestra seats they actually had them move and the ring came out so we were in the upper area and we're looking down on it and it almost becomes like a, a regular boxing ring in that it's at the center of the uh, area you're looking at you know, you're not, it's not that you're looking dead onto the stage. It's, you know, kind of in the center. And and they acted out the fight. And uh, it was it was fairly entertaining. Okay. You know, I, I can't say, it, you know, it was, uh, it was great by any stretch, stretch of the imagination. But being a big <laughs> fan of the original property, uh, you know, some of the music was a little dumb. Again, you know, he's singing about how his nose was never broken. But it was still, you know, some of the tunes were, fairly, were, were decent and catchy. 
and the 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 acting was decent, and I enjoyed watching it. I, I was happy that we went to see it. <laughs> I probably, if I had had a, uh, tickets for it, I probably wouldn't have said no either. So <laughs> who am I kidding? <laughs> so, but yeah, that that was you know just. I, I think it comes from the success they had with adapting the producers into a musical. That they were really looking for properties that they could, you know, make into musicals, and they've done so many different things. I mean, I, at one point, I think they did Carrie as a musical. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. And they had uh, they had a Spider Man musical on Broadway for a while, which, which I would have morbid curiosity. I would have liked to have seen that. I would have liked to have, but the tickets were pricey. I could never find them at a decent price, so I never did get to see that one. I'll just have to search YouTube and see if I can find video. <laughs> my kids got to see it. My ex did. Oh, okay. So I know they, they liked it. They said it was fun. All right. But back to Rocky, you know, we yeah. we saw that Broadway show, and I thought, I, like I said, I, I thought it was pretty decent. And, you know, nothing, nothing that was going to win a Tony, but still decent. <laughs> You mentioned that the Rocky musical didn't win any awards. Now, this movie, did this win any awards, Paul? Oh, this did. This won two very, very big awards. It won Best Picture, mm-hmm. and it won Best Director. Oh, yeah. And I think both were pretty well-deserved. Uh, again, John Avildsen didn't really have a, or doesn't, I don't even know what his current status is. Uh, hasn't he might had be the dead. most distinguished career. But this movie is, is uh, you know, this is his masterpiece. Yeah. And, you know, he, he, he may have rekindled it a little bit when he did The Karate Kid because that has its Rocky-like moments in it. Absolutely. But this one is, you know, this is the one. And, uh, you know, I, I there were flaws to it, but nothing significant enough that, you know, would take it off that level. The other thing it won was editing, which I seem to, well, you know what? I, I wonder if a lot of that is on the basis of the montage. Well, that if that's the thing with montage. If you're able to do good montage, then you're doing a pretty darn good job editing. It, it's tough to to do something like that and have it be coherent have you actually feel have the viewer actually feel the passage of time and feel the struggle of whatever the character is going through in the montage especially if it's one that's you know about something physical like this when you watch that montage you feel every drop of sweat and every piece of dirt that is hitting rocky and i mean i feel ex- you feel exhausted after watching it yeah so i guess true. it's done its job that's very true. And, uh, yeah, so I guess that's where the editing primarily is one. But I, I can't think of any clunky scenes as far as the editing goes. No, it's pretty workmanlike. Um, and that's not a bad word, um, especially if you're telling an, uh, what is essentially an intimate drama. Um, you're not going to need crazy crane shots or anything. I mean, it does what it needs to do most of the time. The camera's not moving too much. It doesn't need to. Most of the movie is people just talking. So you don't need to get crazy. You need to just make the actors the focus at that point and let the story play out. When it does need to move, it does. When we're following Rocky running and doing all of his training, the camera's smooth. Uh, you know, the, the, the close-ups on 
the characters' faces when it's either being discussed or they're speaking. Again, that's kind of the point. Um, it doesn't need to be flashy at all. I mean, I can't really think of any, you know, there's a couple of standout scenes, um, you know, after uh, Rocky tells the Gazzo's driver, I should have broke your thumbs. And you just have that great use of the frame where you just see the vast stretch of the street that Rocky's on walking back away from it in the snow, the, you know, like Mr. Snow that's coming down tells you everything you need to know. It's, it's workmanlike, but it works. Yep, absolutely. And so, Christopher Tyler. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Is it yours? Uh, yo, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, yeah. I mean, come on. Who are we kidding here? Uh, this is absolutely Jaws. There's, there's no, <laughs> there's no way to argue it. And and I, I feel so comfortable saying that it's Jaws that I didn't even bother describing what the Jaws scale is. Yeah, you don't. The Jaws scale. You, Jaws one is Jaws. Jaws two is, not quite Jaws. Jaws three is not quite Jaws two, and Jaws four is Kill It With Fire. So uh, yeah, <laughs> this movie is Jaws, and Apollo Creed's the shack. <laughs> Yeah, I would say this. This is just this is one of when when I make up when I've sat down and tried to make up my top list of movies of all time. This is inevitably in my top twenty somewhere. Where it falls in my top twenty is dependent on my mood and that at the time that I was that I'm trying to figure it out. But there's no question that it is on that list and it's there as is Jaws. So almost by definition, yes, it's Jaws. So is that the the scale then? Anything within the top twenty should be Jaws. No, no, I, I don't. Okay. I don't have it as as a as a strict definition as that. For me, Jaws. Gotcha. To to make to make Jaws, you have to consider it to be an all time classic. Virtu- okay. Virtually flawless. Okay. Uh, you know that doesn't mean there can't be little things. We nitpicked at some some of the little things in here, but I don't think there's any of them that take away from the movie itself. Therefore, it doesn't prevent it from hitting that level. Uh, but if it's an all-time classic, it's Jaws. Jaws 2 would be, you know, and again, just let me clarify that these are not my ratings for the Jaws movies. This is just the scale that we have for this show. Jaws yeah. 2 would be a very enjoyable movie, not quite to the level of classic, but, you know, really solid. Jaws 3 would be watchable, but nothing special. And Jaws 4 would be, no, nah, it's garbage. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind this is Jaws, and that's where it falls on my scale. So, before we sign off, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Uh, Okay, well, this is a Two True Freaks production, so uh, you can kind of catch me pretty much all over there. I do the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror with... Chris Honeywell, Jay, and Luke Giaconetti. I do Weekly Heroics, A Two True Freaks Guide to Heroes on TV with Scott McGregor. I've got a short-form podcast called Cast Protection that I do with Dave Atterbury and John Kreitz covering Stranger Things. And I'm always popping up here and there and everywhere. And when you can't get better guest stars, get me. (laughs) Uh, If anybody is interested in commenting on the show, on movies that you'd like us to cover, as to your thoughts about this movie... Uh, you can write me at jawspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, also, I'd love to get some uh, iTunes reviews. But in the meanwhile, 
We'll see you next time around when we're looking at another movie. Thank you for joining in. See that poster on the wall Rocky Marciano Never took a single fall Not Rocky Marciano He and me, we share a name I think of that a lot How one Rocky gets to the top of his game And the other Rocky gets what I got I got ten sore knuckles and a ring in here I got a bruise over here and here and over here I got a swelled up eye and a real flat beard but hey my nose ain't broken Landlord's yelling that the rent is late. Well, I got 41 bucks, I owe him 68. I got a crooked employer and the job I hate. But hey, my nose ain't broken. Yeah, my nose ain't broken. It still looks nice. Don't need no stitches. Don't Blessings right Got four walls and a ceiling Got my poster on the wall And one or two small hopes Fight a few more years or so As long as I can fight, you know I still ain't on the ropes If you could sing and dance You know we'd have it made I'd buy a second chance And get my life replayed And I'd stay fighting As long as Marciano stayed I still might But tonight My nose ain't broken My nose ain't broken